This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Welcome to a special edition of the Law Bites podcast. In addition to this week's episode with Ellen at Hoon on patent waivers and access to COVID vaccines, this episode features clips from an unusual meeting of the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage looking at Bill C-10. Given the continued public concern over the bill's implications for freedom of expression, the committee decided to call a special meeting of experts to discuss. I was pleased to be invited and had the chance to provide an opening statement and field questions on a wide range of issues from MPs. While no Liberal MP chose to ask me a question, MPs from all the other parties did. This episode begins with my five-minute opening statement. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. As you know, my name is Michael Geist. Uh, I appear in a personal capacity representing only my own views. I always start with that statement, but it feels particularly necessary in this instance, given the misinformation and conspiracy theories that some have floated and that Mr. Minister Guibault disappointingly retweeted. As I'm sure you're aware, I've been quite critical of Bill C-10. I'd like to reiterate that criticism of the bill is not criticism of public support for culture, nor of regulation of technology companies. I think public support for culture is needed, and I think that there are ways to ensure money for creator programs this year, not in five years like in this bill. Further, I'm puzzled and discouraged by the lack of interest in Bill C-11, which would move towards modernizing Canada's privacy rules to help address concerns about how these companies collect and use our data. The bill would also mandate algorithmic transparency, which is much needed and far different from government-mandated algorithmic outcomes. I'll confine my opening remarks to the charter-related questions and widespread concern about the regulation of user-generated content, but would welcome questions on any aspect of the bill. There is simply no debating that by removing Section 4.1, the bill now applies to user-generated content, since all audiovisual content is treated as a program under the Act. You've heard experts say that and department officials say that. The the attempts to deflect from that simple reality by pointing to Section 2.1 to argue that users are not regulated is deceptive and does not speak to the issue of regulating the content of users. I'll speak to freedom of expression implications in a moment, but want to pause to note that no one, literally no other country, uses broadcast regulation to regulate user-generated content in this way. There's good reasons that all other countries reject this approach. It's not that they don't love their creators or that they want to avoid regulating internet companies. It's that regulating user-generated content in this manner is entirely unworkable, a risk to net neutrality, and a threat to freedom of expression. For example, the European Union, which isn't shy about regulation, distinguishes between streaming services such as Netflix and video sharing services such as TikTok or YouTube, with no equivalent regulations such as those found in C10 for user-generated content. From a charter perspective, the statement issued by Justice last week simply does not contain analysis or discussion about how the regulation of user-generated content as a program intersects with the charter. There is similarly no discussion about whether this might constitute a violation that could be justified, no discussion on the implications of deprioritizing speech, no discussion on the use of terms such as social media service that aren't even defined in the bill, and no discussion of the implementation issues that could require Canadians to disclose personal location-based information in order to comply with new ill-defined requirements. 
In my view, the prioritization or deprioritization of speech by the government through the CRTC necessarily implicates freedom of expression. The Charter Statement should have acknowledged this reality and grappled with the question of whether it is saved by Section 1. I don't believe it is. First, the bill is drafted with Section 4.1. In it was the attempt to minimally impair those speech rights. With it removed, the bill no longer does so. Second, the discoverability policy objective is not enough to save the impairment of free speech rights. There is no evidence that there is a discoverability problem with user-generated content. Ms. Yale's panel, which notably appears to have lost its unanimity, recommended discoverability but cited no relevant evidence to support claims there is an issue with user-generated content. Third, the objective of making YouTube pay some additional amount to support music creation isn't enough to support to save the impairment of free speech rights either. It isn't about compensation because the works are already licensed. This is about paying some additional fees given concerns that Section 4.1 would have broadly exempted YouTube. I'm not convinced that was the case. Services such as YouTube Music Premium might well have been captured. And I'm not alone on that. Canadian Heritage officials thought so too in a memo they wrote to the minister. In fact, it was such an on-issue that Mr. Cash's organization did not even specifically cite the provision or raise the issue in the brief it submitted to this committee. I find it remarkable that the minister and the charter statement effectively tell Canadians they should trust the CRTC to appropriately address free speech rights, but are unwilling to do so with respect to how Section 4.1 would be interpreted. Let me conclude by noting that if a choice must be made, some additional payments by a streaming service or regulating the free speech rights of Canadians, I would have thought that standing behind freedom of expression would be an easy choice to make, and I've been genuinely shaken to find that my government thinks otherwise. I look forward to your questions. Conservative MPs Rachel Harder and Kevin Waugh got the question session started with a series of questions on the regulation of user-generated content, discoverability, the so-called level playing field, what to do about the bill, and a recent open letter signed by some of Canada's leading tech experts expressing concern about both Bill C-10 and the broader government digital agenda. My question is is for Dr. Geist, and uh, and it is this. Um, you know, both Ms. Yale and the minister, they've, and, and actually all the other witnesses on this panel, I guess, today, uh, have tried to make the claim that our freedom of speech is not being attacked by this bill. In fact, that it's not even impacted. That somehow content can be moved up or down in the queue without impacting other content. Now, it would be my uh, opinion or my observation that in order for some information to be bumped up and made more discoverable, other information then must be bumped down. I just don't see how it's possible to not have that be the case. So when that is the case, then it means that there's a mechanism being used in order to regulate and curate what I can and cannot see, which then would be a form of censorship. Um, Mr. Geist, I'm wondering if you can comment or elaborate on this further. Well, I think you've highlighted what is the nub for so many experts that have spoken out on this issue. Uh, And that is that, uh, first off, let's be clear, user-generated content, when we are speaking of the content, is regulated. I mean, it's absurd to simply suggest, well, you're exempted or the CRTC is bound by some other policy objectives. We are putting it into the basket of regulation. And we would never dream of saying the CRTC would or should regulate things like our own letters or our blog posts. But this is 
core expression for millions of Canadians, and we are saying that it is treated as a program like any other subject to regulation. That's number one. When you layer in on top of that, as the Liberal proposed amendment does, discoverability requirements, what you are saying is that the government, through its regulation, later gets to determine what gets prioritized, not on a specific piece of content per se, but it's going to make choices, elevating some, deprioritizing others. That clearly has an impact on individual Canadians' expressive rights. It's doing so in an environment that, frankly, is completely unworkable when you think about this from a user-generated content perspective. And the notion that somehow this increases choice at a time when there is unlimited choice for user-generated content is, frankly, just absurd. Thank you. Um, I'll give the rest of my time to uh, to Kevin Waugh. Well, thank you. I'm going to uh, continue with Dr. Geist, if I can, because I was at the original news conference of the Yale report, and uh, the chair talked about leveling the playing field. And we've often heard for the last several months, level the playing field. You say um, that's not the case. Um, maybe just talk about that, because level the playing field is an expression that this government has used since they introduced this bill in November. They do. And uh, Ms. Yale often talks about like for like as if we need to treat all these players in the same fashion. What we ought to recognize is that the existing broadcast sector enjoys a whole series of regulatory advantages worth hundreds of millions of dollars that are not available to streaming services. It's things like simultaneous substitution. It's the must-carry rules, so that you have to carry certain channels, uh, which, which is otherwise unavailable. It's foreign investment restrictions or foreign ownership restrictions that are there. There are a whole series of, of measures that actually don't make this like-for-like. Now, listen, that's not to suggest that there ought not to be a regulatory environment for online undertakings. What I would say, though, is that trying to treat them in the same fashion as this bill does has rendered it fundamentally flawed. And this committee ought to know it better than anyone because they've had witness after witness say they're concerned about things like changing Canadian ownership requirements, changing the performers, prioritization, changing Canadian intellectual property. And all of that is a function of trying to treat online in precisely the same fashion as conventional broadcasters. You have uh, been pretty vocal on Twitter and other social media about this. You've said, scrap this bill, start over. Others on this committee want this bill to proceed. Uh, you know, it's been 30 plus years now since we've updated the Broadcasting Act. We all realize this act has to be uh, modified at some point. Maybe just talk about scrapping it and what would you would put in there instead of what we have in front of us today. Sure. So I, I would start by noting that, you know, I think we've seen the flaws. I mean, Mr. Cash even acknowledged that it's a flawed piece of legislation. And we now have have, have the government contradicting its own department officials again and again on things that were directly included in government memos from the Heritage Department to the minister with advice on some of these issues. And so it's a flawed piece of legislation. The concerns are real and legitimate, raised by an incredible number of people, including people who have been some of the biggest critics of tech companies in the country. And so I would suggest that I think we need to get this right because we don't change our legislation uh, that frequently. Clearly, it runs sometimes for decades. 
But at the same time, we need to ensure that there is money for creators for precisely the kinds of reasons that Mr. Cash identified. And so what I would say is the starting point is tax dollars. The government's already announced that it wants to increase the taxes on tech companies. It should take some of that tax money, allocate it directly uh, to to the, to the various creator programs. And in doing so, there could be money this year at the time when there really is that need for money, as opposed to the way this will play out with this bill, which is an undoubtedly going to take years before the CRTC and in litigation that is inevitable to ensue, so that nobody is going to see a dime coming out of this legislation for years. There's a mechanism both to get the legislation right and to ensure that creators get money and to do so quickly. Hey, I must have a few seconds left, and there is an open letter I see to the Prime Minister. Um, Mr. Chair, do I still have 30 seconds left, or am I done? I'll let you ask your question very quickly. Okay, there is an open letter, Canadian Internet Policy and Technical Professionals, that put it out, future of free and open Internet. Just comment on that, because it's a letter sent to the Prime Minister today. It is, and I'm proud to have signed that letter. I think one of the one of the most shameful aspects of this debate over the last few weeks has been the continual attempt to suggest that somehow it's just people who are who are, are speaking on behalf of tech companies or aren't critical or don't want to see any internet regulation who are concerned with Bill C-10. That letter has been signed by some of the fiercest critics and biggest experts around tech policy, Ron Deberts, uh, Bianca Wiley's, Nazma Ahmed, Lex Gill, people who the Canadians have learned to trust, who have expressed real concern about the tech companies, they've looked at Bill C-10, they've looked at government policy around the internet and said they're very concerned about the path we're headed in. Net neutrality emerged as one of the major issues at the hearing. Green MP Paul Manley asked me about it. Mr. Geis, the same question about uh, the Mm -hmm. concept of net neutrality and how algorithms work and whether they're just feeding us commercial content and how this is going to be different by having uh, Canadian content rules and discoverability as part of that algorithm and whether how these things affect net, net, uh, affect net neutrality and the law on net neutrality. Right, I appreciate the question. Uh, first off, for those that aren't aware, net neutrality speaks to the need to treat all content in an equal fashion, regardless of source uh, or destination. And so that's been a core principle, I thought, of successive governments, although it seemed like the heritage minister expressed some doubt in at least one media interview around that issue. Quite frankly, we just heard from Professor Trudell. He said that algorithms determine the type of content that is visible. That speaks exactly to the concerns around net neutrality, the notion that an algorithm can, in fact, undermine those net neutrality principles. Now, if it is being done at the behest of a government, which is precisely what is being proposed under this bill, it will be the CRTC that will be making those determinations. That's where the speech implications and the concerns from a net neutrality perspective arise. And that is, again, I repeat, precisely why... There is no country in the world that does this. Nobody thinks it is appropriate to have a government make these kinds of choices about what gets prioritized or not prioritized with respect to content. 
Algorithmic transparency that Professor Trudell mentioned is something entirely separate and, in fact, is something that is absolutely necessary from a regulatory perspective and is even included in Bill C-11 that the government, for whatever reason, has largely buried and hasn't moved forward. So it's not about whether we regulate algorithms. It's about whether the CRTC and the government uses those algorithms to determine or prioritize or deprioritize what we can see. Conservative MP Alan Reyes went back to the issue of the two user-generated content exceptions, Section 2.1 and 4.1, and asked for clarification. He then followed that up with another question on net neutrality. Um, I'd like to ask Mr. Geist now to explain what is the difference between 2.1 and 4.1? Because the minister keeps telling us that there's 2.1, everything is protected, user-generated content will not be threatened. And at the same time, Mr. Trudell has talked about a source of confusion regarding 4.1. Could you give us your vision as a professor of law and a fervent defensor of freedom of expression? Sure, I'd be happy to. I mean, I find it quite remarkable. We get some witnesses saying it doesn't mean anything at all. We get others saying that it should be removed. Uh, so presumably there was a problem with it. Here's the here's the bottom line reality, um, as I see it, as many other experts see it, and as the department saw it, including in comments directly to this committee and in memos written to the Heritage Minister now available under uh, the Access to Information Act. Number one, 2.1 speaks, as we've heard, directly to regulating uh, online undertakings. And it is true that we are not going to treat a million TikTok users as equivalent to CTV or other broadcasters so that they don't come up to have to appear before the CRTC, which makes a whole lot of sense. They are not broadcasters. There's been some concern even around that because, of course, we had the heritage minister talk about the number of viewers or followers that you have that might pull you into that scope. And we've had some creator groups that have suggested that that ought to be the standard that is used. But it doesn't appear to me that that's what 2.1 would do. What 4.1 sought to do was ensure that the programs themselves, the content, would not be treated as something subject potentially to regulation by the CRTC. There was not significant confusion. There was, to be sure, any number of different online services that would have to go before the CRTC to determine whether or not the content on their service was captured by this. That would include some of the YouTube services, but there, it is certainly with, was within the realm of possibility that those would be captured. If we are such big fans of the CRTC to get it right, I would have thought that we would have confidence that we could both safeguard and protect uh, user-generated content and that critical form of expression and have that confidence in the CRTC to get it right in terms of determining where where the application of the law might lie. Merci, Mr. Geist. Thank you, Mr. Geist. One last very quick question. Is it possible to be for net neutrality? As Mr. Gilbo said, as Ms. Jolie said, as Mr. Lametti said many times, and agree with the amended bill as it is currently. Can both? Uh, can someone be for both at the same time? I don't believe that the 
bill as currently drafted, much less some of the plans that we know the government has talked about with respect to website blocking, are consistent with net neutrality. And we should be clear, Canada has been looked to as a leader in this space, as a leading voice on net neutrality. It even has sometimes sought to distinguish itself from the United States and others where they've taken a step back from net neutrality to pass this legislation to give the government the right to prioritize or deprioritize speech severely undermines our are are essentially our our credibility as a voice for net neutrality. NDP MP Heather McPherson asked about what could be done to support creators while at the same time ensuring that we address the freedom of expression concerns. Mr. Geist, um, my colleague, Mr. Shampoo, has just asked, you know, what we could do to make C10 something that that you would be able to support. And you you speak about taking out that clause 4.1. Um I guess, could you just, I mean, my, my concern is, is that we need to find a, a, a way, a, a way to do this broadcasting legislation. You know, we know it's 30 years overdue. What are the, what are the things aside from that one, what are the other things that you would like to see us do to ensure that this legislation, um, you know, does what we've asked it to do in terms of leveling the playing field, in terms of protecting our artistic sector, our, our broadcasting sector, but also in terms of protecting freedom of expression? Right. Well, as as I as I mentioned earlier today, you know, my view is that the legislation is flawed on a number of levels, and so that, frankly, if that if the if the goal the goals you just articulated are important ones, my view is especially on the finance side, the best thing that we can do is make sure that there is money that's made available quickly, and we can do that through things like the digital services tax and other related tax measures. And I think, in many ways, we have to go back and take a at a harder look at some of the kinds of approaches that are that are contained in this bill. You know, I'm struggling a little bit with some of even some of the comments that I've heard today. You know, this notion, for example, on net neutrality, which is a core principle that ought to be protected. We've had now both Ms. Yale and Professor Trudell say, well, there is nothing to do with that. In their own report, it specifically notes that there are other emerging issues that go beyond classical Internet access, have much in common with the goals of net neutrality. I don't know if that was written by some of the members who aren't standing anymore with them and have broken away from the BTLR. But nevertheless, it's clear that these are issues we need to be thinking about. Thank, thank you, Dr. Geist. Conservative MP Scott Aitchison asked whether discoverability requirements necessarily involve speech regulation. I provided my view, which is that it unquestionably does. What we effectively have is now an outsourcing of that regulation to the tech platforms, which actually provides Canadians with even less protection. It's government doing indirectly what it would think it would be difficult to do directly, which is regulate the discoverability of that content. Let's even leave aside the notion of how we would even figure that out. If I do a video with my siblings who live in the United States and in other countries, is that a, is that Canadian content? Is that not Canadian content? We have a hard time figuring out what constitutes Canadian content for certified productions. Suddenly, now we're going to ask the CRTC to decide which cat video constitutes Canadian content and which one doesn't. And when you ask the government to decide what gets prioritized and what does not, that is absolutely regulation and deputizing tech platforms to enforce the those government edicts in many respects are even worse because they aren't subject to some of the same kinds of restrictions. Conservative MP Martin Shields opened the door to a discussion about what discoverability actually involves in Canada and the prospect that foreign services might actually block Canada, resulting in less choice for consumers. Um, I'm going to Mr. Geist. I, you just heard that the 
Michelle um, backs all 97 of the recommendations, including the divisive one that I find that members of the CRTC would be recommended to live in the National Capital Region, which I find problematic. Going beyond that, Social Dilemma is a documentary out there that many have seen, including my granddaughter. And she's a very sharp, of course, all our grandkids are smart. But we discussed this particular bill. And she is very savvy in technology. Now, she understands how algorithms work and how they direct her from her past listening and what she does and directs her to it. But what she objects is the government being involved in doing this. She very does. And this is a very sharp young person, objects the government playing this role. She understands the private sector and their algorithms and how it reflects her. So, Mr. Geist, you've talked about the dollars. We've had members saying this is an emergency. You've described how we can get dollars, too. And I think that's the, that's the house-burning idea. How do we get dollars out? So, with the dollar item and what other people have said in the Australian model, would you like to respond to that, how we get there and how Australia is doing it? Well, certainly, I can I highlight some of that on the media issue, on the newspaper issues that Australia has moved forward on. But to to focus specifically on this and, and an issue that you raised with the algorithms, which I think is important, uh, there's no question that there are concerns. Anyone who's seen some of the, the movies around social media, I think, comes away rightly concerned about some of these algorithms. But this bill is not a bill that addresses that issue. Uh, in fact, it it substitutes in some ways the government's choices for the company's choices. What we need instead is more algorithmic transparency on that issue. And this notion that somehow we've got a, the, one of the problems we have to solve is discoverability. We've heard it you now several times. I, I, I must say two things. First, Ms. Yale talked to, to, as we heard, cross country with lots of people. They weren't able to come up with any evidence, zero that there is a user, there is a discoverability issue with user-generated content. There were no studies cited that this is a problem. And the reason is that I'm sometimes left in this discussion wondering if people actually use these services. If you want to find Canadian content on Netflix, type in Canada or Canadian. If you don't think that there are Canadian uh, playlists on Spotify, then perhaps you haven't used Spotify with all due respect. There are numerous choices for precisely these this kind of content. That's not to suggest that we can't do better, but to somehow think that what we need to do is take all the user-generated content, suck, find some mechanism to categorize it as Canadian, and then have the government make choices about what gets prioritized or not is foolhardy, and that's precisely the reason there is no one else on the planet that does it. When you say no one else on the planet, and you've repeated that a number of times, and we've heard it before, do you hear anybody else even talking about the idea of what Canada or reaction to what Canada is attempting to do? I think there are significant risks with what we with what we're proceeding because what this bill will do. When you get foreign services looking at Canada, obviously some of the big players already here aren't going to go anywhere. But some of the other services that are outside of the jurisdiction may look at some of these regulations, look at the costs and say, we are going to block Canadian users from the marketplace. You think of a service like Molotov, a French language service that is servicing a whole series of French language African countries. 
They're not available in Canada right now. Are they going to come into Canada if they face these kinds of regulations? There are India-based services that are the same, Korea-based services that are the same. This is going to hit our multicultural communities particularly hard as services that might otherwise make themselves available within Canada will look at the costs, look at the, that what we've already heard are clear obligations that they will face under these rules and say that we're simply not going to operate in the Canadian market. So when you refer to a simple tax in the sense of supporting our cultural industries, you would see like to see that done. And as a mechanism, we could do that quickly. Government's already announced it. Uh, it's proposed. It's said that it's going to it's going to implement a digital services tax starting next year. Um, there are there are some concerns about moving forward in that regard without an international consensus. But the government's made it clear they want to move forward with that. They've talked about the revenue that is going to generate. It seems to me there is nothing to stop the government saying we are going to take a portion of those proceeds and put them into the the very funds that we're talking about right now to support the creators and ensure that there is money now as opposed to the bill c11 approach blc10 approach that is going to take as i say years to sort out through the courts in the crtc block mp martin shampoo asked about how to promote quebec and french language content on online services My response ended with a clear call to regulate the tech platforms and to recognize that the concern with Bill C-10 involves speech regulation, not tech regulation. Mr. Shampoo, for two minutes, 30 seconds, please. Merci. Thank you. Mr. Geist, I understand that you do not want for platforms to be regulated regarding the content that they have to offer us. I think that you may have a vision that might ignore the reality that we know in Quebec to protect francophone culture. And Quebecers are not the only francophone Canadians. There are also francophones outside of Quebec. Briefly, could you tell us, do you think it's possible for us to protect francophone and Quebec culture and Canadian content as well, which I think deserves to be easily discoverable on platforms. Earlier you said it was very easy to find Canadian content. Yes, perhaps it is easy to find some Canadian content, but it is not necessarily showcased, and that is what we are aiming to do, the same way that Canadian uh, broadcasters have to do this. Can you tell me about this? Sure, I can say a couple of things. First off, you know, I think, well, I think first, when it comes to some, we need to distinguish between the streaming services again and user-generated content. When we're talking about user-generated content, I think the answer, quite frankly, is no. I don't think that we should be requiring in a user-generated content world a requirement that the, the CRTC get involved in making some of those choices through discoverability, which, in response a bit to Mr. Housefather's comments, by its very nature, if you are, are prioritizing some speech, you are deprioritizing other speech. There was a reason in his Facebook example, other content won't be seen. That would be true as well with the CRTC choices for content that is, again, deprioritized. Now, on other kinds of services, on the streaming services, that's a different argument, and that's not really what we're talking about here. I do think that there is some of that content available. Netflix, for example, has the has the films Juste a Déclin, which they themselves 
themselves funded and doesn't even count as uh, Canadian content. That's part of the problem with the system itself. So I think there are, but I think there are things that can be done. But where we are focused, as we have been, on issues like net neutrality and freedom of expression, what happens is that is that this bill has slid away from the goals that you've just articulated into now the regulation of individual speech. You can say that it's being done through a platform. You can say that it's indirect. But it ultimately is the case. And, be, and to be clear from the from the start of the premise of your question, I repeat again, I am not against regulating the tech platforms. The, the issues, especially the, the discussions we've been having, especially around algorithms, point to the need for greater transparency so that we know how these choices are made. And that is specifically around regulating these platforms. We need better protections around the data they collect. That, too, is regulating the platforms. We need the Competition Bureau to be more effective in terms of any competitive effects, that too is regulation. It is a myth to suggest that this is about whether or not we regulate the tech platforms. This bill at the end of the day with these changes is whether or not we regulate individuals' speech. Finally, Conservative MP Kevin Waugh talked about what he called the elephant in the room, the CRTC. The elephant in the room to me is the CRTC. The lack of confidence that Canadians have in the CRTC. Um, many of us have been uh, former broadcasters uh, right now, uh, zooming in here, uh, but there is little or no confidence in the CRTC. And then when we see a former chair and vice chair and others speaking out to this bill, that in itself is the white flag that I think we are all concerned about and and must uh, address as we go forward in this bill. Uh, Mr. Geis, I'll I'll just give it to you because, you know, being a former broadcaster, uh, we had very little confidence in the CRTC at all. Well, I think there's been ongoing frustration for many, many years with the CRTC. I must I mean, I find it's almost astonishing now to people say, well, let's just leave almost all these issues to the CRTC and they can figure it out. This bill, as I think, frankly, many of the members from all parties were rec- recognized, is woefully lacking in detail. And it was supposed to be in a policy directive. That policy directive didn't contain much information either. And so on issue after issue after issue, it said, well, let's let the CRTC solve it. You've had the CRTC chair acknowledge there isn't great expertise. Uh, necessarily now on these issues either. And for anyone that has ever followed these issues, you know that the CRTC process, think of some of the telecom issues that have been going on for years. We are talking about very lengthy processes. So when I hear Mr. Cash, for example, talk about the urgency of getting some of these issues right, that strikes me as wholly incompatible with this legislative strategy that is going to take years to ensure that there is actual money on the ground. And we are handing it over to a commission that has that that groups from across the spectrum have really struggled with and felt that they sometimes have either been excluded, the decisions haven't been correct, it's taken a long period of time. There's a reason that there's that lack of confidence. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod or Michael Geist at MGeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The LawBites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. 
Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Mm -hmm.